Hello and welcome. Bienvenido. Hello. And assalamu alaikum. Welcome to AO Access to Success, the podcast series developed by the AO Access Task Forces to broaden your perspectives for personal and professional development. Today's podcast is hosted by Dr. Samantha Morello, the lead for the AO Access Task Force, Faculty and Leader Development. Hi, my name is Dr. Sam Morello. I'm a large animal veterinary surgeon and a member of the AO Vet North America faculty and the lead member of the Faculty and Leader Development Task Force for AO Access. Here at AO Access, we've created this podcast series, Access to Success, to help facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of clinicians as leaders and the various ways that diversity matters in the practice of medicine. Today's podcast will focus on the importance of partnerships and their role in promoting initiatives and driving change with a particular focus on diversity. I'll be joined today to discuss this topic with two executive board members from the International Orthopedic Diversity Alliance, otherwise known as IOTA, President Dr. Christy Weber and IOTA Vice President Dr. Jennifer Green. Dr. Weber specializes in the treatment of bone and soft tissue tumors, as well as metastatic bone disease. She is the immediate past president of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and was actually the Academy's first woman president. Dr. Green specializes in hand and wrist surgery and is the founder of the International Orthopedic Diversity Alliance. She is passionate about increasing orthopedic diversity and inclusion, and Dr. Green is also the immediate past chair of the Australian Orthopedic Association, the AOA, and the Orthopedic Women's Link Committee, and has been successful in driving diversity change. So, Christy and Jenny, your personal experiences in orthopedics clearly inspired you to do some of this work. And Jenny, to have founded IOTA, what was it that really drove you to spend so much of your time and energy creating a large organization like that? And also, how did the two of you guys come together from across continents and so many oceans to begin working together and really lead us to having this conversation today? Thanks so much, Sam, for the invitation, and I really appreciate all the great work that AO Access is doing to drive diversity, particularly in orthopaedics. Um, I originally became involved as a, as the chair of the Orthopaedic Women's Link at the Australian Orthopaedic Association with diversity. That was the leading group to manage uh, diversity for women in our organisation. And while I was doing that role, I started researching quite a lot about diversity and became very interested in what was happening around the world. And that's when I started reaching out through through social media and through other channels to meet with people that were doing similar similar roles. And that's where I came obviously across Christy, as well as attending a conference that I was invited to to speak about our diversity strategy in Australia with the American Orthopaedic Academy. And that's where I first met Christy. From my standpoint, I, I think any woman in orthopedic surgery comes to the diversity issue personally uh, because there's not very many of us. 
and you look around and there aren't very many women and there aren't very many people of color. And you find yourself as the only person of your type in a room so many times, especially, you know, Jenny and I, um, given how many years we've been in training. So I think that it's always been personal. Um, And for me, as I've worked both locally in my institution and nationally in a number of different organizations, including leading the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society, which is in the United States, um, with a focus on women and mentoring, I became more and more interested in what impact we need to have to change the field, both at home and beyond. But the beyond part's really Jenny. I mean, Jenny really is the is the person I, you know, I, I, I did meet her, but then I, you know, people just kept saying, you know, this Jennifer Green, you know, she's, she's just a powerhouse and she's connecting people all around the globe. And I think that was really the key is that connection that Jenny had with a number of different women and other leaders in orthopedics, you know, to a point where the idea of building something together was compelling. And, and honestly, if she hadn't put as much work as she had into it, we wouldn't be here. And so, you know, I popped onto several of the early IOTA calls and, you know, over the last year, this has really moved into quite a, um, you know, there's been a quite a bit of progress in solidifying the strategy and governance of IOTA, but it's really all Jenny's uh, creation. And I'm just incredibly thrilled to be part of it because I think there's value here uh, in both partnerships around the world and understanding what people are going through around the globe because the diversity challenges are nuanced and they're different in different regions. And that's what we're really trying to dig into so that we can provide uh, education and uh, context for people who are in different points on their journey to try and improve diversity of whatever type in their region in orthopedics. Yeah. So what you just said is a great point. And and that was actually the next question I really had for you guys. So it's a huge task, right? Taking on not just diversity for women in orthopedics, but taking it on in sort of a global scale. So it varies from region to region, country to country, and even, you know, the, the type of orthopedic surgery you're contending with, right? Whether it's trauma or spine or, or whatever it is that you're talking about. So what's happening around the world in orthopedics and, and how is it different among countries or regions? Um, and how is it the same? And why do you think, I mean, I think the answer to some of that is, is um, obvious, but I think there are probably some nuances that people don't think about. So wh- why are there differences there um, among, among different places? And what have you found in, in doing this sort of work on an international scale? And what have you learned from that? And what are you currently combating? Look, I would also like to add, Sam, to the previous question. Uh, In terms of of why I became so involved, part of this was as a 20-year career surgeon, I realised as I became a member of the Australian Orthopaedic Board how slow our progress had been over 20 years the number of women in the pipeline was tiny. The, the recruitment of women into orthopedics was a flat line. It was almost, almost identical to the similar graphs that had been drawn up in the US, a flat line around 10%, 12% intake for 10 years or more. So it, it was really quite shocking to me. I had assumed that we would have progressed so much further. I'd been busy uh, working in my career and not realising 
really what was going on. Women are so few and far between that you never really count the numbers until you get in onto a board and see the data. So, so that was a real driving force for me. Um, I've got quite a strong sense of equity. And growing up in, in this as a child in the 70s, we were all told that, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar. We're going to just be equal. You know, I had ABBA. There were two of them, two men, two women up on stage side by side. And, you know, the culture of the 70s was, you know, of course everything is going to become equal. There will be diversity, equity and inclusion. But it really hadn't happened. And it was just such a shock to me. I felt compelled to do something about it. And that's really what drove me to start linking people up. I, I have I have worked in several countries as an orthopaedic surgeon in New, New Zealand, in America and in France. So I did have a sense of, of this diversity and this difference in culture and it, it had always intrigued me. So, so part of my reaching out was was to do this job of uniting people in diversity, but also a fascination with with different cultures, in terms of what what is happening and how we're managing this. It it is not easy to bring together people from so many different cultures and balancing those different needs. We're all on a learning journey here, so slow steps and there are some areas of diversity that we really don't discuss in certain regions as well. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to build on that. Jenny, I think, has outlined some of the movement around the world related to women's groups. And I think that we probably would all agree that in most countries, that's the first group that's really moving forward, women. Uh, so more of a gender issue. I think that the racial underrepresented groups in whatever nation you're talking about, that's also starting to move. But in the United States, uh, the number of women, the percentage of women orthopedic surgeons is much higher than, you know, black or Hispanic or native um, orthopedic surgeons. So that's, I see as the next frontier. And then the LGBTQ uh, community, um, there is an organization now, Pride Ortho, that is uh, being developed uh, in U.S. and other places. And so I think that is a, as a group that is starting to move forward. These are all very exciting initiatives. And we really are subject to the social, you know, the social norms in whatever country we're in. And so I think as society changes, as will hopefully orthopedics. But in the meantime, IOTA will continue to support leaders and others who are pushing for change in every region to the point that that's, you know, accepted um, and, and we'll push a little bit, but we're, we want to be mindful of the cultures that we're in because there's so much work to do. There's plenty to work on everywhere. Yeah. And I can imagine that's, you know, a, a huge part of that, that huge job that you already have is, is the education, the self-education on all of those cultures. And, um, and it's hugely important in developing those partnerships so that you have representation from those cultures so that you have that source of knowledge from all those locations as you keep moving forward. And then just to you know bring up a specific, so when we talk about parental leave, you know, I'm, I'm pretty U.S. based in my thinking and I, and I think, well, here, this is how we do parental leave here in the United States. But, you know, it's completely different in Canada, completely different in, in Britain, you know, very different in Australia. So every 
region has a different concept of whether you're you're allowed two weeks or you're allowed a year. And so that plays into how women are viewed or how families are viewed uh, in various regions. And so, you know, I think one of the things that IOTA does is, is in addition to educate and develop resources uh, for, for people around the world is to come up with different type of topics, not just that, hey, diversity is great, which we want to get out there, but we also want to talk about different things that are that are impactful, like parental leave. Maybe people took a break for research. How do they get back in? What's the confidence issue? What if they um, were ill um, and took a break from work? You know, what if they had some children? Um, so we want to be able to present programs associated with other national meetings or on our own um, with our own platform uh, to raise these questions and conversations to try to move groups and organizations forward. I mean, I think that highlights a, a really interesting concept, right? Like we talk a lot about in medicine, the idea of evidence-based knowledge. And when we talk about what works best for women, there are a lot of different examples around the world of societies and cultures that treat women differently or where women have different ways to, for example, take or not have access to things like paid family leave. So it sounds like some of what you're developing is some of that evidence-based knowledge, right? How do women interact in different systems and cultures? Um, and there isn't a great central location for that knowledge, especially for women physicians or women in orthopedics. And so it's, it's a really interesting thing that you're putting together or, or, or a set of resources that you're, you're putting together and um, system of knowledge. So yeah, that's great. That's really great. We can all learn so much from the, what is happening in different areas. Try to bring the, the best practices forward and share them because a lot of people don't realise what alternatives there might be. But if you can see them in practice in another country and adopt some of those ideas, it, it helps everyone. And, you know, I, I was surprised to find in, in Malaysia that they have in them, all their capital cities, they have turned their prayer rooms into breastfeeding rooms in theatres. So the women have, you know, every nurse, every doctor in that operating theatre can breastfeed their children by, you know, just going over and expressing in the prayer room. It's set up, they've got fridges, they've got all the facilities. And that is something that for an Australian orthopaedic surgeon is quite impressive and for most Anglo nations it does not exist so there are things happening everywhere that are really great practices and we need to share them. I think that also really turns over a lot of stereotypes people might have and so it's a really great piece of education um, I mean, certainly for me at this moment and probably a lot of our listeners. So that's a great um, source of knowledge that you've just provided for everybody here. And you may wonder why a, a Muslim country has such great practices for women. Uh, it's quite likely due to the fact that Malaysia has had more female presidents of their orthopaedic association than any other nation in the world. And that, again, may be surprising for some people. They have had four presidents. And there is no doubt that that trickle-down effect from leadership is so important. And that is part of the reason that we are trying to not only connect people, but also connect leaders uh, and reach out to 
the presidents of associations to become members of IOTA. And we, we now have a, around 40 presidents from around the world who are our members. Uh, so trying to bring the leadership along on this journey is, is so important because the evidence base is that if you get the leadership involved, that the strategies will follow. So that's actually a great segue to what my next question was. I mean, I think that um, implicitly everybody sort of has to, on some level, agree, yes, there's value to diversity. I mean, that's been, it's been stated over and over at the highest and lowest levels of business, um, organizational culture, et cetera. But in your in your you know, the four minute pitch deck is kind of the theme of the day, right? That's how that's a, that's how every new startup is 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 grown now. So in your four minute pitch deck approach, which is to be as impactful through a story or the two or three most um, innovative ideas, what's your four minute pitch deck approach to convincing people um, what the value of diversity is to orthopedic surgery? How, how do you how do you tell that story or how do you really convince people as effectively as possible in as short a time as possible? There's data out there, and Jenny can outline that even better than I can, about the value of diversity in businesses, in PTAs, in government, um, you know, talking about better innovation, uh, better decision making. It actually translates to the better dollars um, in the in the for-profit sector. But in the orthopedic field, having better diversity, you have more ideas in the room and you're also, we're taking care of people that aren't just white men. I mean, that's not our patient base. Our patient base is the world that we live in. And so it seems odd if we're only a certain subset of that world we live in, uh, in order to change health disparities. So we want to represent the world that we live in. Honestly, the, the bottom line is there is a lot of data coming through showing that unless we are a diverse health workforce, we don't really treat everyone equally. Um, and there's, particularly in the US, there's a lot of information coming through through research and we're collecting all of that on our IOTA library on our website, but it, it shows that Black patients just do not have the same outcomes. They don't have the same access to care. They don't have the same, um, they have a much higher rate of complications. Uh, they're more likely to have amputations after trauma. And, and there are, there's one great paper talking about how a lot of the problems are actually even just in the way different cultures, white culture, black culture, communicate with each other. So, there is increasing evidence that unless we're diverse, we're not really providing the best health care and we're not changing all those health care inequities. So, yes, we're more innovative. We will attract the top talent if we, if we seek uh, orthopaedic surgeons from the entire pool and just from a, a small part of the pool. Uh, and, and we'll make better decisions. But most importantly, it's actually really about patient care. I agree with all of those points. And that was definitely an effective, I think, less than four minutes um, in, in being able to explain all that. I, and I think that actually most, 
you know, most hospitals and hospitals are businesses, right? So um, especially today, most of them are big corporate businesses. I think they recognize that. And so most large businesses and those big organizations have started to make some progress or at least started to make some efforts in trying to develop their own diversity initiatives and try to improve their workforce and even improve the pipeline when we're talking about medical schools and residency training programs. So talk to me a little bit about how an organization like IOTA intersects and creates partnerships with those medical schools, with those hospitals, with those corporate groups, and what action IOTA is taking to create those collaborative relationships to augment those initiatives and to improve those processes to, to make them more successful in achieving these goals? IOTA is pretty new. So we just came online uh, within the last six to eight months with an actual board of directors. So we now have 501c3 nonprofit status in the United States. We have a governance and structure um, and regional representatives. And we've been really working on solidifying those core parts of any nonprofit. And that's really good to get our, our feet on the ground in, a, in the right structure and governance. And we've been building, as Jenny said, you know, presence at a number of different international orthopedic meetings so that this commentary is on the agenda. And I think there's some value sometimes at having it be an outside group and not your own same people that keep saying, yeah, we're the diversity team. Like, wow, here's a group that represents people from a number of different countries. And they're saying they're saying the same thing. They're amplifying the message, but they're also they have a little bit of a different this is a bigger problem for the world at large. And I think sometimes that is a nice message. That being said, we're also building, as you said, the educational materials to be able to help leaders, to help uh, people in various groups. And I think, you know, what we really want to dig into, um, one of the things anyway, is to connect with the leaders that Jenny mentioned and really push for every organization orthopedically around the, the world to have a strategy for what they're going to do in their organization to not just say that they care about diversity, but have an actual strategic plan with metrics and objectives and you know ways to execute on those metrics. So it doesn't just sit on a shelf, but people are actually monitoring the progress. And that's really the goal. And I think if we start with leaders, I think if the leaders don't care about diversity and inclusion, then it's unlikely to happen in that, you know, national organization or, you know, a, a department of orthopedics in a particular medical school. We really want to get the leaders on board. And so that's, that's one of the things that we're focusing on early, but we have, we have big plans to get, uh, to get a lot more influence over time. And we, we also like more organizations on board as well. And now, now that we, we actually have all the advocacy groups on our website, we're starting to attract other groups that are interested in orthopedic diversity who want to get involved, who, who want to be recognised as doing something and, and have their presence or, on the IOTA website to show that they're, they're moving ahead on a global diversity stage. So really trying to engage not only the orthopedic associations but any other groups that are working in this field. Um, and that, that has in, included... Uh, not only groups like 
your foundation, uh, but also we are working with industry as well to because industry are actually ahead of orthopaedics or in, mostly in diversity. Um, as you said, corporations have been working on diversity for many more years than orthopaedic associations have. So there is a lot of knowledge that we can share and ways that we can support each other as, as an orthopaedic community. I think that's true. I think that we're going to, you know, corporate America probably is, is certainly ahead of orthopedics in general, but I would say that some of the orthopedic industry is struggling with some of the same issues, whether it's gender or race and, you know, becoming more diverse in their own, you know, orthopedic divisions. And so I think we're all in this together. We're all trying to come up with ways that we can uh, improve um, and change the culture so that it's a welcoming culture where people feel like they belong and they don't have to fit in, but they actually feel like they belong in the, in the room. I mean, it sounds like a big theme, whether you're talking about bringing together different cultures and countries or different um, programs from hospital to hospital or industry to industry is sort of breaking out of silos and creating, you know, a more sort of interconnected and similar sort of approach to um, a collaborative approach to everything so that everybody isn't off in their own space trying to reinvent the wheel, but doing it together. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's actual real things that may seem small that whether it's orthopedic surgery or industry, this is well known, but if you have a panel to discuss a certain topic, unless there's some real reason not to, then that panel should not just be white men. There should be someone else on the panel. You know, otherwise the status quo just perpetrates itself because there've always been mostly white men in these fields. So you have to really be intentional about saying who else is out there who has a voice and who has something to say that would be of interest and maybe a different perspective. And we have to be mindful. I know myself, I have met, I have, I have not always done that well just because I default to what's always been. And so I think now really being mindful and trying to help other people and other leaders be mindful because that's just another visual and some role modeling about how we're going to change the conversation. So, yeah. So you're kind of talking about some standards of procedure. You just mentioned role modeling. So what are some of the most effective strategies um, that you think should be in these strategic plans that you think leaders should adopt and, and try to enforce? What are some examples? Well, as Christy's just mentioned, Having, having visual role models is really important. If you're going to become diverse, you need to have some diversity in your social media, on your podiums, in your governance. You can't just have the same looking people in all, throughout your organisation at, at levels of leadership and visibility. So it, it really means bringing in women, bringing in LGBTI bringing people, bringing in uh, people who are of different cultural and racial backgrounds into your leadership, onto your podium, where they will be seen, and also promoting them in your social media, which most of the many organisations now have very strong media, social media streams. Uh, I know that if we look back in our Australian stream, of social media prior to our diversity strategy, you would be hard-pressed to find a woman for two years. Um, And that has completely changed. So the visual now is very much almost 50-50. You would believe that 50% 
of the Orthopaedic Association in our country was female if you looked at our social media stream. And that that is so important and it's important that they're seen at meetings because you are bringing in young students, uh, you're bringing in trainees who want to have someone that looks like them that they can role model from. And if you don't have those people there, you will you just cannot attract a diverse orthopedic uh, trainee group. And one of the most difficult groups really to attract are the medical students because they often do not get exposed to very many orthopedic surgeons. A lot of medical schools have such a short period of musculoskeletal education only often it's only at two or three weeks and if they only see men there and they are continually told that orthopedics is a boys club by all our non-orthopedic colleagues it, it becomes a very hard cycle to break and so getting people in the pipeline who are diverse requires quite a lot of reaching out to medical schools and one of the ways we, we've been doing that in Australia and that is happening in Africa and the US, uh, Christy is on a, a pipeline program that she may speak about briefly too in the US about bringing women and uh, representing minorities that are, are not very well represented in orthopedics into the room, bringing them in to do some hands-on workshops and talk to them about orthopedics so they feel included is a really important strategy that we need to adopt. Uh, so that I, I feel quite strongly about bringing people in and mentoring them and sponsoring them, and we know that that is really helpful. The other thing that we need to work on is flexibility because uh, going through training uh, in for a female in her childbearing years is a challenge and we need some flexibility in training to allow for that to happen and to make that path easier because a lot of women think that they cannot have children as an orthopaedic surgeon. There are these myths out there that we're having trouble breaking. Yeah, I think a lot of what Jenny's talking about is really on the ground um, in the medical schools where we have the pipelines coming in. And I agree with all of that. I think that in any kind of an academic center, uh, those role models are important. You have to have, you have to break structural barriers, whether that relates to parental leave, lactation rooms, the process for promotion should not be hindering women who take a greater proportion of childbearing responsibilities still in society in general. So how do we have women be able to get promoted up to the higher levels where there will be pay equity, um, bringing in women at, at, equitable pay scales when we hire for the faculty. How do we hire for the faculty? Do we have women on the search committee? If we don't have women on the search committee, how are we going to think about intentionally bringing in women on faculty or in resident selection? And so really being intentional is probably one of the best words I can think about when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. We have to be intentional because it's not, it's not what we're used to. We all have implicit bias, uh, whether it's related to gender or race or ability or sexual orientation, and we need to be aware of that and constantly uh, question our assumptions. Um, so I think, you know, bias training is important, whether it's in organizations or on the ground. Uh, I think relentless repetition of the commitment to diversity. It has to be, it ha can't be once a year when we recruit residents, it's got to be all the time, the relentless repetition by leaders and others. And that's 
made easier if there's a strategic imperative and, and, and there's something in the strategic plan that we're measuring because then everyone will be repeating it. I also think that, you know, all of this is inseparable from culture in general. And so in addition to the structural barriers we have, you know, as individuals, when we see things that would inhibit someone from wanting to go into orthopedics, we have to be able to find a way to call that out whether it's a private conversation or, or something, but we need to be able to change minds on the ground, change the way that people talk. I mean, Jenny talks about pipeline. I think pipeline programs are imperative, whether it's bringing in women or minorities, and there are great pipeline programs uh, in the U.S. and other places. We also need to think about the other end of the pipeline. I'm just going to be frank here. We got we to gotta flush out the other side of the pipe because some people are just not interested in evolving. And, you know, we're interested in the way it used to be. Wish it was the way it used to be, which the subtle second part of that sentence is when people knew their place. Right. So, I mean, who wants to go back to the way it used to be in 1972 um, in orthopedics? Like we need to move forward. And so when I hear that, yeah, we should go back to the way it used to be. Who wants that? So we need to call some of that out. Anyway, and I think that the other thing I'll say is the selection of leaders and how people are chosen to lead, whether it's a department of orthopedics at a medical school, whether it's a CEO at an orthopedic industry, or whether it's president of a national orthopedic organization. How is that picked? I mean, I, I can tell you horror stories. I'm sure you can all know that, oh, yeah, a bunch of people got in a room and said this person should be president. You know, that, that's not the way that corporate America picks leaders or corporate anywhere picks leaders. Probably there's a process, um, a best governance and best way to, to select talent. And I think that the old way of doing it does not advantage diverse leaders. Uh, we need to come up with a very clear process to select the best talent and we need to cultivate that talent. You just touched on one of my favorite topics, which is just that, the selection of leaders and how it's often a broken system in a lot of our structures um, and how that needs to get revamped to solve a lot of these problems. And that should be its entirely own podcast at some point. Um, But I think that you've both just summarized tremendous amount of information about what we should all be thinking about and and focusing on um, and encouraging the people we work with, um, we work for, and we train um, to be focusing on, to be able to create some even low-level change if we're not in the position to be redefining structures um, at a higher organizational level. And if we are, Um, if we are in a position of leadership, to be enforcing that stuff right now. And so I'm excited to see where IOTA goes and what it's able to do. And, you know, you're just at your sort of launching point, which is at sort of an exciting time if we're feeling all hopeful about the direction uh, the world is going in with with the COVID pandemic and everything at the moment. So I'm really excited to see what you guys um, are able to accomplish in the next couple months to years. um, And hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast to be able to talk about it. So um, thank you so much to uh, Drs. Green and Weber for sharing your experiences and advice The perspectives they shared with us today provide some really useful guidance for organizations and for our various workplaces. As we move forward, remembering the value of collaborative efforts uh, with an international perspective to drive forward initiatives will be critical um, in ensuring progress in the medical profession. 
for us here at AO Access and for all of you who recognize the value of these topics in providing the best in healthcare, making sure that we can continue to find the space to have conversations like this is critical to push the medical profession forward. Thanks for listening, and please continue to look for our AO Access to Success podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more great minds and great discussions like the one you heard today. Thank you for listening to the AO Access to Success podcast series. Be sure to visit our webpage to facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of leadership at AO Foundation, who we are, about AO, AO access, to join the conversation. Yeah.